This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time, 12.03. Great to have you with us for the Tuesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. It is Education Week on the Business Hour. We'll cover the best way to get a maximum financial aid package in our next segment. Right now, the ransomware attack on a Texas to New York pipeline is sending shivers through the energy market. Let's get the latest from Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst at Price Group. Uh, Phil, I mean, I'm looking at the oil prices here uh, pretty much flat. Is that surprising given what's going on? It really isn't. I mean, I'm sure it's surprising to some people, but what we're seeing here is that this is a mass dislocation of supply. It's not like the supply isn't there. It just can't get to where it needs to be. And part of the reason why oil prices aren't going through the roof is because refiners in one part of the country have to reduce uh, production because they can't run it through the pipeline. And in other parts of the country, there's shortages because they can't get enough supply. So the overall futures prices um, have seen little impact, but make no mistake about it. When you pull up at your gas tank, you're going to feel the impact. Yeah. And, and when it comes to what's going on on the East Coast, I mean, obviously, I was uh, monitoring Twitter and CBS News throughout the evening to, to sort of see what was going on. You got all these reports of long lines and gas stations running out. Can we tell, are the gas stations running out because they can't get the gas or are there just so many people coming to get it that they're draining the tanks? I, I think it's a little bit more towards the area of panic buying right now. Everybody is nervous. They're topping off their tanks. Uh, so they're definitely draining supplies faster than they normally would have. So I think it's a little bit of that. Uh, there was enough supply to last three or four days uh, to cover everybody. But um, there is concerns about transportation. So I think because the pipeline's down, it has messed up. Uh, some of the transportation, it's tightened supplies to more than it would have been. And it's not just the gas stations that are running out. Uh, we're hearing that airports are also having a hard time getting enough jet fuel, so much so that they're changing some of their air, airline um, uh, schedules uh, to, to try to uh, save on fuel. When something like this happens, it's not as simple as, uh, well, just you know, get some more tanker trucks to, to bring gasoline to where it needs to go. It really isn't. In fact, if you look at uh, recently, it's been widely reported that there's a tra tanker truck driver shortage. So uh, uh, they're doing everything they can to get as many drivers out on the road. But you have to be certified. You have to be working. Um, and they have lifted driving restrictions so drivers can drive, you know, pretty much around the clock because of an emergency. But uh, even when this situation goes away, we still have some issues when it comes to gasoline transportation in this country. For the most part, I mean, maybe a little change in price, but for the most part, unless there is panic buying here in the Midwest, we shouldn't be impacted by this? 
Um, we're probably going to see a little bit of an impact because, you know, when, once you ripple one part of the country, it can spread throughout the other parts of the country. So I would imagine Chicago gasoline prices are going to go up a couple of pennies, and they probably were going to go up anyway, right? The summer driving season's right around the road. But I'll tell you this, if they can't get this pipeline up, you know, by the weekend, um, I think the entire country is going to feel the pain from, you know, what basically amounts to a terror attack on, on the U.S. consumers and the U.S. economy. Thanks so much, Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst at Price Group. Just ahead, Education Week, strategies to get the financial aid you need in order to make college possible. It's Education Week, all week long on the Noon Business Hour, sponsored by St. Xavier University. In this segment, we're getting help in obtaining financial aid. We welcome Sue Schwisher, Executive Director of Financial Aid at St. Xavier University here in Chicago. Sue, thanks so much for joining us. First question question that I have, you know, parents and students, they get this financial aid statement in the mail from whatever the school is after they fill out their FAFSA. Is that a a hard and fast offer? Is there any kind of wiggle room? I mean, I I hate to say negotiation, but is there any way to get a little more? Oh, sure. Um, We always encourage people if they have questions about their financial aid offers to reach out to the financial aid office. Um, We're happy to assist them by looking at their income information to see if they might qualify for some additional financial aid. And uh, going forward, uh, what are some of the things that parents and students should keep in mind as they fill out that FAFSA and prepare for trying to get some aid? Um, I think uh, what they need to think about is, you know, has there been any changes, family circumstances, that perhaps the FAFSA doesn't display that information to us. So always keep in mind if, you know, for example, if a family, if a parent loses their job or they have unusual medical expenses, those are all things that we can take a closer look at to see what we can do to help um, help them with their paying their cost of attendance. Talk about, for parents who've maybe never gone through this process along with their students, what kind of aid is available? What, what can they expect to uh, you know, potentially receive? Well, the students uh, may qualify for federal grants. They may qualify for state grants. Um, they may qualify for institutional funds in terms of like academic scholarships, athletic scholarships, things of that nature. Um, if um, there's also other resources such as student loans that can help them with their costs, and um, also student employment. You know, I, I actually threw out FAFSA as though everyone knows what that is, and people who've maybe not gone through the college experience yet do not know what that is. Give us a, a quick primer on what exactly FAFSA is. So FAFSA is the federal application for federal student aid, and on that application, we are capturing data uh, for both the student and the parent concerning their income and their assets, how many are in the household and how many are going to college. And through a standard calculation, um, once that all that information is entered, we come up with a figure that determines what a family's ability to pay is. Now, is a school under any kind of obligation to meet whatever that gap is between the cost of school and the family's ability to pay? It will vary. It it depends on uh, there's so many things that go into an award package. I mean, it's not only financial need. You're looking at academic standards as well. So it could vary from from student to student. Some students will end up with more money than what they need, and maybe they don't have to start, you know, they don't have to think about student loans. Um, They may be, be able to pay out of pocket.
How important are things uh, in determining, uh, I'm thinking, financial aid, like grades, like involvement in the community, sports, things that you do in the, the community? It seems like there's a lot of things that impact what kind of aid you can get. Well, uh, you know, sports, you know, is one because, I mean, you maybe a student may want to be an, an athlete and they may be able to get a scholarship for their ta- talent. Um, sometimes schools offer various institutional aid programs based off community involvement. So, I mean, those are all things, I mean, that are usually disclosed on an admission application when they they apply for admission and um, can be factored into consideration for eligibility for financial aid. Thanks for all the information. Very helpful. Sue Swisher, Executive Director of Financial Aid at St. Xavier University on Education Week, sponsored by St. Xavier University. Up next, what to expect if you're looking to buy a used car. Loaning useful information each week. Day. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's a tough market for people looking to buy used cars. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line to explain why, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst, host of Autoline.tv, based in Detroit. John, what's going on? Why a tough time for used cars? Yeah, Cisco, it's amazing. There's a shortage out there right now because there's for used cars and new ones as as well. But one of the things that we're seeing right now, which we have never, ever, ever seen before, is the daily rental companies like Hertz and Avis and Enterprise, they're buying used cars. Why? Because they can't get enough new ones. And so that's helping create the shortage. And with the lockdown and everything that's happened in the past year because of COVID, for whatever reason, people are just buying more cars right now. And because of the shortage... I mean, there are no deals out there. There's no incentives. There's no rebates. There's no nothing like that. Everyone's paying top dollar and prices are going up. What does that do for people who are trying to sell a used car? You know, if if you're, for example, I mean, let's say you're working from home and and you don't think you're going back to the office. What does that do if people decide they want to give up their car? Well, this is a seller's market. I mean, if you've got a good used car to sell, you're going to get top dollar for it. And guess what? It's going to sell very, very quickly as well. So. You know, that's uh, the good news and the bad news of it, of it. If you're buying, it's bad news. If you're selling, it's really good news. And this is in part, or, or is it maybe significantly because of the global chip shortage that we've been talking about for a while? Look, it actually started a year ago when the auto industry had to shut down for two months because of the COVID pandemic. That got them on the back foot. There's uh, been a real tight inventory uh, situation because of COVID. And then, like you say, now the chip shortage is hurt, hit. So right now, today, there's almost 2 million fewer new vehicles in inventory than there was before the pandemic broke out. And that has translated down into the used car market. It's created so much demand for cars, whether they're new or used, that, uh, you know, the inventory is so tight right now, they're just hard to get. Some people are probably wondering about leasing a vehicle. Is that an economical option now, or is that more expensive too? No, everything, everything. You know, it, number one, even if you want to lease a vehicle, you might have a hard time finding exactly what you want. And uh, so, yeah, the leasing's not going to help you whatsoever. You're going to pay top lease rates right now. Interesting times for sure. Thank you, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst, host of Autoline.tv. Still ahead, another dose of Education Week, a guide to studying abroad. (laughs) 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Parts of the country are suffering because of the cyber attack on a vital energy pipeline. Congress gets an update on the COVID battle in the U.S. Travel Tuesday and Education Week come together with a look at overseas study programs. As more people plan summer trips, it's a perfect time to find the best credit cards for travelers. On the markets, the Dow down 488 points. The Nasdaq is down six, and the S&P is down 36 points. Sunshine, blue skies all day long. Right now, 51 degrees. We may get a few degrees warmer this afternoon. There are long lines and short supplies at many gas stations in the southeast and mid-Atlantic. Many East Coast gas stations have run out of fuel because of the Colonial Pipeline cybersecurity attack shutdown. These drivers are in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I was trying to pump yesterday and there was like yellow tape on two whole gas stations right by my house. People ain't going to be able to travel to work or nowhere. My husband had asked top off the cars. Gas Buddy says 6% of stations were without gas in Virginia as of Monday night. The Colonial Pipeline that runs from Texas to New Jersey carries nearly half of the fuel supply for the East Coast. Jim Crisula, CBS News. The Senate Health Committee has held a hearing on the pandemic response in the United States. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky was upbeat in her opening remarks. Just a few months ago, 85% of all counties in the U.S. were experiencing high COVID-19 transmission rates and increased community risk. This morning, that is down to 33% of counties. The doctor is encouraging all parents to get their children vaccinated with eligibility for the shot, dropping later this week to age 12. It's 1232. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks are lower, especially the Dow. The Dow down 504, NASDAQ down 4, and the S&P down 37. Let's find out what's going on on the Noon Business Hour, presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Nick Raish is here, CEO of the Earnings Scout in Cleveland, found online at earningsscout.com. Nick, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, today's an inflation scare in the market. And uh, as you mentioned, the Colonial Pipeline on the cyber attacks uh, causing rising oil prices, which have been rising. We're seeing many commodity prices rise uh, and, the, and meat prices rise. A lot, a lot of those lumber prices rise. And, and what the market's afraid of is that that inflation is going to persist. The Fed has said it's going to be temporary. The market necessarily doesn't believe it. And, and why that's important for stocks is the Fed has a very accommodative policy for the economy. It has, it's doing QE. It's got low interest rates. If the market doesn't believe that the, the inflation is going to be temporary, that means the Fed may have to adopt some more restrictive policy and start raising interest rates to combat inflation. And, and in doing so, that could hurt future profits. And uh, stocks all are about future earnings and profits, uh, and, and that's why the market's going back today. The market with, doesn't believe the Fed. I'm just wondering, with inflation in individual portfolios, I mean, is that a concern as you, know, you have your money sitting there and as inflation rises, I mean, the value of your portfolio decreases, at least the spending power of it? That's exactly right. And so uh, some inflation is good, Cisco. And so we always say the porch has to be just right. Uh, an inflation rate of 2 to 3% in the economy. That means companies have pricing power. They can raise prices, but it doesn't crimp margins. It doesn't hurt your purchasing power. Uh, but if it starts to run too hot, if the porridge gets too hot, the inflation gets too hot, that can cause the Fed to start tightening policy. And again, that impacts the future uh, profits and 
again, the market's all about future earnings and earnings expectation changes. So uh, we got to watch if the inflation doesn't run too hot here. In an inflation environment, I don't want to say high inflation, but I guess higher than we've expected or higher than we've experienced recently. Uh, how does that impact someone's portfolio or, or where they want to move their investments? Well, one thing is it could be in uh, inflation protected securities are they're relatively expensive. Uh, but you're, you're right. We have not had inflation in decades. It's not been a problem. And in fact, uh, deflation has been a bigger worry where the Fed has had to do multiple QEs uh, and rounds of easing for you know the last decade. And we've not seen inflation. But with all the stimulus that's coming back on, the reopening of the economy, uh, we may start to run hot here and really haven't seen this in decades. So uh, for some investors, it's going to be their first time dealing with inflation in their careers. Well, let's talk about reopening. Uh, we are getting open. You have some companies struggling for workers, but in general, I mean, that means that things are moving again. Does that change an investment strategy? Well, we, we believe so. The, the variables, the reopening of the economy is one variable that's going to impact future earnings, and, and the inflation is another variable. Uh, we think the reopening of the economy is going to be a stronger variable for future earnings. And, and you know, we're 92% of the way through first quarter earnings season here. And Cisco, based on the percentage of companies that we've seen beat estimates, the margin by which they're beating, the year-over-year growth rates, and the EPS estimate revisions that are taking place after the companies reported their first quarter earnings season, this is the best earnings season we have measured in the last 10 years, uh, and maybe even longer than that. So uh, the reopening of the economy is a, a very good thing. And if you think the numbers look good now, just wait till next quarter. They're going to be even better. And going forward, then, how does that change? I mean, I'm just trying to think, uh, are you encouraging maybe, I hate to say set it and forget it, but if things are going well, there's maybe not a reason to really change your money much, not to move it around much. No, we think we're going to eventually hit higher highs. This inflation fears, they'll, they'll rise and, and start to subside. But once people see the growth, uh, that's going to really go. And, and we've been saying this, the market bottom last March, when fear was at its peak. So at peak fear was when the market bottom, nobody wants to buy at peak fear. Stocks, the market's gonna peak at peak optimism. We don't think we're there yet, uh, but the market's sort of betting that we're gonna be there. We don't think we're at peak optimism just yet. Thanks so much for all the insight, Nick Rach. He is CEO of the Earnings Scout, found online at earningsscout.com. Just ahead, Education Week continues, taking college studies overseas. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday on the Noon Business Hour, also Education Week. Studying abroad is part of the plan for many college students. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher at JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. Uh, Joe, I mean, basically, when the pandemic hit, study abroad got pretty much completely shut down, right? Absolutely, because students, although they often don't feel that way, are human beings and they were affected by the pandemic. And we're not talking about a small number. Uh, in 2019, about 350,000 U.S. children, adult, young adults, studied overseas. That ended for the academic year of 2019. Now we're looking at the academic year starting 2021, and no one knows what's doable. That's the challenge, right, is you're heading into, I mean, by now, students would have their plans for study abroad for the fall. Uh, how do they move forward? I mean, are, are you looking maybe at different regions that might be a little more open at the fall? Well, it's, it's certainly 
Now, the important thing to note is, is that 55% of that 350000 we talked about, not to get lost in the numbers, go to Europe. And Europe, at least ostensibly, will be the first place to open. Um, Asia will probably be closed until 2022. So anybody studying Asia, that's off the board. Australia just yesterday announced that they won't even be reopening their borders to most places for another year. So we're really talking about Europe and whether you can do it starting next semester. And the question is, we thought last Friday when Britain, which is now outside the European Union, um, had its three sort of traffic light for um, countries to reenter, that we would be in the green zone. It turns out we're not, and that will require a 10-day quarantine. And that affects, you know, a a pretty huge number of students, 12,000 coming here, um, about 20,000 studying in the U.K. So the first signs are frankly not very good. And I'm thinking about the the experience here. Ordinarily, you would go to study, but also you would want to travel throughout Europe. You just, you know, hop on a train and, and go country to country and really see the area. That's not necessarily going to happen over the next year. Well, if they can get into Europe, again, let's start stay with Europe, they will be able to travel. Um, one of the people who are key to Joe sent me, my website, um, his daughter studied in Bologna last year. Um, meaning the year before the pandemic. And when she returned, she, he found out about 30 places she had gone to that the, he didn't tell, she didn't tell the parents about because it was a quick hop from Bologna to Barcelona or to, you know, or to Munich or, or to Frankfurt or to somewhere else in Italy. And it was only then when the parent learned. Um, there is also the party angle of it. Let's be honest, Cisco. Uh, you go to a, you go to study in a country like Italy, and if not Bologna, certainly Rome. Um, when I'm there, I avoid the uh, the Campo dei Fiori at night because it's full of American kids, frankly, being drunk in the evening because there are no liquor laws in Italy like ours. So you may not consider that as something you'd want your kid to do, but it's all part of the experience that would be involved if they've accepted a semester or longer overseas. I, I'm shocked to hear this, Joe. I mean, I thought it was all-nighters in the library when you when you went overseas. There might be, but there's a, there are an awful lot of them in the Campo de Fiori drinking cheap Peroni beer. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher at JoeSentMe.com. Hopefully, some areas, especially in Europe, will have study abroad again this upcoming school year. Join us at this time tomorrow for more vital college information during Education Week. Still to come, identifying the best credit cards for travelers. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A second dose of travel Tuesday. More people are getting the COVID vaccine. That means travel numbers are beginning to recover. Having the right credit card can help maximize those miles and other purchases. Ted Rossman is here, industry analyst at creditcards.com based in New York. Uh, Ted, can I give us an idea here of some of the differences in these miles credit cards? Because, I mean, obviously, depending on where you travel and how you like to travel, there's a different card for you. Travel is definitely bouncing back, especially domestic leisure travel. International travel and business travel are still lagging, but leisure trips are picking up. And what I think this means for cardholders is, especially if you have a good credit score and a good income, because lenders are being more selective, but if you can check those boxes, 
it's a really good time to get a travel card, especially the transferable points cards. So not necessarily the ones tied to a specific airline or hotel, but ones that let you keep your options open. The Chase Sapphire Preferred and the Capital One Venture are two cards that fit the bill. They both have elevated bonuses. They could be a really interesting option for you. And so when people are looking at, hey, which card is for me, do they have to think about how they like to travel? What are some things, I'm thinking characteristics of travelers that they need to keep in mind? Yeah, what I like about both of those cards is that they give you a lot of flexibility. So you can transfer to dozens of airline and hotel partners. You could also book travel through those airlines or even on your own and just redeem your points or miles to offset that. They both even have these pandemic-friendly categories where, if you want, you can actually redeem your points at the same elevated ratio that used to just be for travel, but you can also redeem for things like groceries and dining and streaming services and home improvements. I think it's emblematic of this general trend, which is travel's bouncing back, but we're not all the way there yet. So these kinds of incentives that can go either way. You know, you want to travel? Great. You want to get cash back for everyday stuff? That's great, too. I think we're seeing a lot of this kind of in-between right now. And when it comes to points, uh, are all points created equal? There's a huge range there. Like, for example, the Hilton Surpass card right now is giving a sign-up bonus of potentially 180,000 points, which sounds massive, and it is to some extent, But our sister site, The Points Guy, only values those at about six-tenths of a cent apiece, whereas on that Chase Sapphire Preferred card that I mentioned, those 80,000 points are potentially worth two cents apiece. So there's a case where 80,000 is actually worth more than 180,000 just because of the way that these ratios work out. So it can be a little complicated you got to do the math or just stick with a cash back card, you know, if you like simplicity. But definitely keep in mind that some of these points currencies are worth a lot more than others. Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.